This is the Family Friendly Workplace Podcast, produced by Women's Agenda. You've probably heard the term war for talent, shared in regards to certain industries. But Ben Schrum believes it's actually a nuclear war for talent that's occurring across professional services and other sectors. And if you're not on the cutting edge of providing great purpose-led work, as well as flexibility and provisions to support staff and their families, then as an employer, you're going to be on the losing side. Hi, my name is Angela Priestley, and this is the Family Friendly Workplaces podcast, an initiative of Parents at Work and UNICEF Australia to highlight what employers and their senior leaders are doing to make workplaces more family-friendly for their staff. And today I'm speaking to two leaders from Cube Group, including Ben Trom, the managing partner and co-founder of Cube, and Kim Annesley, the firm's people and culture manager. Now, Cube Group describes itself as a consultancy at the centre of positive change that firmly believes business should be used as a force for good. They're also relatively small compared to, well, at least bigger consulting firms. Cube has around 30 staff, which is what makes their stance on culture and their advocacy for other SMEs to prioritise culture particularly exciting. Cube Group has some truly revolutionary policies supporting staff and their families. They offer 12 weeks paid parental leave to all new parents, as well as up to six months of superannuation contributions during both paid and unpaid leave. Also among their policies is that they offer two weeks of bereavement leave for any pregnancy loss up to 12 weeks, and then six weeks paid leave for any pregnancy loss up to 20 weeks. It's revolutionary stuff, so let's get stuck in and learn more. Thank you for joining me, Ben, and thank you for joining me, Kim. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Angela. So, Ben, I might start with you. So, I know that you you founded Cube Group in 2002, and I've seen it described as Australia's first public values consultancy. So, I'd love to hear just briefly what you mean by that, but also to get a feel for back in 2002, if you, you look to address culture, particularly at that point, if you were thinking about family-friendly workplaces, if you're thinking about creating a positive culture for staff, you know, all the way back almost 20 years ago. Sure. Um, well, I guess going back a little bit um, to give you the history for me, Angela, I started my career in the, the late 90s at uh, what uh, was then Anderson Consulting and is now Accenture, which is a global management consulting organisation. As you said, from there, I founded Cube in 2002 and have been leading the organisation now for the past 19 years, um, which I pinch myself at how quickly that's gone. I guess a little bit about me. I, um, My wife, Natalie, and I have two sons who are six, Emerson, my eldest, and Archie, my youngest, who is four. They're both total hurricanes. Um, and uh, my mum tells me that I was the same at their age, so I think this might actually be payback for me, uh, for my behaviour as a young man. But um, And we live on the Mornington Peninsula here in Melbourne where we're, we're currently homeschooling um, our kids uh, along with so many other parents around Australia. Um, I think the answer to your, to your question around the early intent was I think it's been a journey uh, really around certainly we are a purpose-led organisation that's something that makes us very different uh, at Q. We only work with public value organisations who are seeking to make a positive social, economic and environmental, environmental impact um, in Australia, and that certainly flows through 
um, to our culture. But the evolution of the way we think about in inclusive policies and the family first approach that we're taking to our workforce at Cube is something that's been a journey. So whilst I always wanted to build a purpose-led culture, I think the way in which that's taken shape has been a learning curve for me. Yeah, sure. Can, can I just ask, you mentioned the Mornington Peninsula there. Um, so, I mean, I'm not in Melbourne. I mentioned before that I've, I've been to the Mornington Peninsula. It's a beautiful place. I, I believe that's a couple of hours out of Melbourne. In non-lockdown times, what does your work life look like? Do you all work together in an office? Do you work remotely? How does it work? Well, we, I, Mornington, where I live down in the peninsula is about an hour from um, metropolitan Melbourne. I guess it's a little story into sort of the, the move towards a more flexible approach that we've taken at Cube. We decided very early in the pandemic to move to a very flexible model of work and really embrace an all roles flex uh, approach for our workforce. And in all honesty, I had some reservations about it, you know, having sort of come from a sort of a slightly more old school kind of way of thinking, you know, you should be in the office these days per week, we should have some sort of minimum levels of face time. But we decided really to kind of leap into a much more sort of open, flexible model. And as soon as I mentioned that to my wife, we were on you know, domain.com.au <laughs> looking at properties down the peninsula. And, and, uh, yeah, and, and here we are. So I, I think for us, even in a non-lockdown environment, we're fully flexed. Uh, and that's what we've moved to and, and we've really benefited from that. So um, everyone has complete autonomy and empowerment in um, the time that they decide to be in the office um, in front of our clients or working from home. So, Kim, I'd love to bring you in now. So perhaps if you could give us a little background about how and when you arrived at Cube, um, where you now lead people and culture, how long have you been there? And I might ask what attracted you to the firm in the first place? Thanks, Angela. I have been with Cube for uh, just over three years. And the attraction for me, I suppose, was to join an organisation that was doing innovative things. And, and certainly the, the attraction was around that purpose-led um, approach. As a relatively small firm, I could see that there were great opportunities to to be involved and to really help shape some of those uh, innovative policies, um, but also to help shape the culture of, of a growing business. Um, I was really attracted to, to getting involved there and the three years that I have been at Cube have certainly enabled um, me to get involved in a range of different things and to be involved in what I feel are really progressive policy decisions and to be leading the way and really living our values as a firm. Mm. So being the Family Friendly Workplaces podcast, and obviously we will get to some of those family friendly policies, which I think are really interesting in the context of being a smaller firm, because um, as we'll get to, these are some things that you usually hear coming from larger firms. But first, I do just want to ask about your own leadership, just to hear about how it, you know, it may differ, it may not, but in terms of making it family friendly yourself, managing your own commitments at home. Kim, I know that you've got a couple of teenagers, Ben, at a different stage with a four and six-year-old as the, the hurricane's running through the house, as you mentioned. I've got three around the same age running through our house as well, so I get that hurricane uh, analogy very much that that is the perfect description. But maybe just starting with you, Kim, how has it gone with your career, uh, having those teenagers and, and having a family-friendly approach to, to what you do and your leadership? So when I had my children, my girls, um, 
which feels like a very long time ago now, um, I had uh, stepped away from a full-time role to pursue post-grad study. So I wasn't in a situation where I was able to access any kind of, of leave from, from an employer. What that saw me doing then for the next 10 years essentially was taking time out um, to care for our kids, um, as well as picking up contract and short-term uh, project-based work in and around the caring responsibilities that I had for our children. My partner works full-time in his own business, uh, so I definitely took on the primary carer responsibilities for our kids. Since joining Cube and taking on a more permanent but part-time role, I've been able to juggle those responsibilities. Our kids are definitely older and a little bit more independent now, but uh, sometimes that also means that they require a more attention and assistance um, and certainly having uh, an organisation that is is happy to, to work flexibly and happy for its team to work flexibly has made a massive difference, particularly during these last couple of years, essentially, when we've been impacted by the restrictions. Yeah, well, if you've been there three years, it sounds like uh, half of your time there has been in lockdown, so or mostly in lockdown or at least living through these pandemic years. So, Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Ben, uh, can I ask you that same question? Were you able to take parental leave, running a business, having two kids? And did that point as well change your outlook in terms of considering flexible work, in terms of considering parental leave, that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I think that's the key point for me, Angela. I think it did. I think the lived experience of having kids is is what really kind of tilted it for me to understand, you know, it deepens your empathy um, for what it's like to to be raising children and to be, I mean, I'm in a situation where my wife is studying, so um, she takes the primary care responsibilities, but I still try and get quite involved in that to um, support as deeply as I can, you know, taking the kids to school, picking up and various other times during the day to be able to kind of have that opportunity to spend time with them when you otherwise wouldn't if you're in the CBD day in, day out. But just also seeing the pressures and the realities of that, you know, each day, it's hard, right? You know, we all know parenting, it's hard graft. And I think you know, when you've when you've lived that, you you bring a new, a new empathy to the table. So definitely that's helped me to be, I think, a stronger leader and understand that, um, you know, we were all in this together um, and bring that to the thinking around our culture and the way that we support our team. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard in that sense as well. It's just when you think you've got certain parts of it figured out, they get a little bit older and it all changes again. Kim, as you mentioned, having teenagers, I have no idea what that is like, but I suspect it will bring its own challenges and quite different to the need to to take kind of direct parental leave as you might when a child is younger. But things change, situations come up, they need that attention. Um, it's attention that can't necessarily be outsourced because, you know, if it's about their study or something else, it brings about its own challenges. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that point that you're right, it's very different at different stages um, of your family dynamic. Um, but I think one of the things that, that we recognise at CUBE and certainly have attempted to do through the policies that we've created around this is to recognise that families come in all different shapes and sizes. So it's not just an age and stage consideration, but you know, some children have different or special needs. Other families are made up of different configurations and may include you know, access to other carers to support children and, and other uh, responsibilities that are being held by the parents. So I think one of the things for me that I'm particularly proud of with our policies that they are very inclusive, no matter what your family structure is is all about. Um, and I think what that signals for those people who perhaps don't yet have a family or don't 
plan to have a family, um, it really signals that as a firm, we're, we're very focused on creating that sense of belonging and inclusivity for all. So they're not just policies that are critically important for those with children. I think they really signal to, to others that we're serious about that degree of inclusion, equality, and creating the sense of belonging. I just wonder, Angela, could, could I, um, I just would like to perhaps just before we dive into the policies, if you wouldn't mind, go back to the earlier kind of question you asked us, which I don't think we've kind of really dived into around sort of being a smaller organisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look at that because, I mean, I obviously just did some background research on you and I, and I looked at like when you graduated and that kind of thing and saw that it sounds like you started this firm sort of within a few years of graduating, so quite young to go out and particularly at a time, you know, 20 years ago when not everyone was out starting firms. So that's one thing about being a firm of around 30 people, being quite small, how, yeah, you're driving this culture in, in a smaller firm like that. And again, that idea of how and when and you were able to do that from, from the outset because anyone starting a new business, we know it's like when do you start thinking about culture? Do you start it when you hire the first person, when you hire the fourth person? Is it the tenth person? When do you really try to get the policies right? When do you hire somebody like Kim, you know, to, to be a people and culture manager? Yeah, definitely. The, the challenges that sort of come with being a small to medium enterprise are, are sort of many and varied. So perhaps I'll just tackle that in the context of, I think some of the limiting beliefs and the self-talk that can happen as a small to medium enterprise, that, you know, for example, we're too small to do what larger organisations are doing. You know, we don't have the deep pockets of larger firms to be able to support these sorts of policies. Well, I think it's worth saying we don't accept that at Cube, and that's been a big part of the development of our culture. Um, so, you know, small to medium enterprises are the largest employer in Australia. We make up somewhere around 40% of the business workforce. And something as a B corporation, which we've signed up to a benefit corporation, a big commitment in doing that is this idea that of being the change, you need to be the change. And, and what that says to us is that irrespective of our size, you know, we want to be part of the solution and we're not going to let our size stop us from being at the bleeding edge of inclusive, family-friendly policies. That's, that's the position, the posture that we've taken. I think the other point here around this idea of kind of building your culture over time and kind of setting those pegs is that this limiting belief that can creep in that there is SMEs can say, look, this is just going to hurt the bottom line. You know, there's too many of these policies, you know, it's, it's, it's too much um, in terms of the economic impact. And, and to be honest, as a business owner, that is those sort of ideas do float around in your head, you know, because you're responsible for the impact of your decisions on the financial you know, viability and health of your organisation. But I guess for me, really what brings all this together is this idea that you've got to be brave um, and, and you've got to go for it and know that if you build the right culture and send the right signals, the economics will look after themselves through the culture that you build and the people you attract um, and retain, retain in your firm. And perhaps just the last point I'll make on this is we often hear this idea that, you know, we're in a, a war for talent. And I, I think we're in a nuclear war for talent right now on the back of COVID because, you know, we're in a new normal, flexibility is here. You know, the next generation of talented professionals are looking for more purposeful, more flexible places to work. And if you are not at the edge of that thinking, you know, you're not going to attract and retain those professionals. So I think it's that, that ability to be bold, put yourself out there and adopt a posture that this is important to us and this is what we're going to stand for and let the economics of a small to medium organisation grow around that. Yeah, Ben, was there a light bulb moment for you on all of this? 
I don't think so. No, I think it was something that certainly has has evolved over time. I mean, I think that's probably the other part of the posture as a leader is to be kind to yourself and know that you don't have all the answers when it comes to you know, diversity, inclusion, and um, you know, bridging the gender divide and so on. I mean, even you know, two months ago we had some inclusive leadership training, for example, and we spoke about the use of pronouns. Um, when you're online, uh, when you're on your LinkedIn profile to create safer, more inclusive digital spaces. Now, yeah, that was something that, if I'm honest, I didn't fully understand, right? And then we went through that training and, and it was very enlightening and something that was helpful for me to understand, you know, that that journey is continuing every day as a school day in this, in this regard. So I think that's the posture you need to take, get people around you, listen, learn, show the empathy and be willing to uh, improve and constantly mould your culture um, to be more inclusive over time. Yeah, and, and as a CEO, as a managing partner, to be able to say that you don't understand that and you're open and ready to learn rather than saying, no, that, that's somebody else's job to deal with. Yeah, I think you've got to be malleable and, and understand, hey, look, yeah, I'm, I'm here to be, to, be, to be taught, I'd like to learn um, because I'm, you know, we, we are genuine about walking the talk with these values and being a purpose-led organisation. Yeah, so I can't help but look as you are saying all this that, you know, one thing that, that has showed up in some of the work that you've done or the, the, the public pieces that you've put out there in the past 18 months or so is this look at the, the the missing middle, as you call it, which is obviously going to be relevant to this conversation. So that you brought together these different minds, 100 different people it looks like, to to look at policy design and service delivery to look at how women are disproportionately impacted by the missing middle. Can I ask you to highlight what do you mean there and then what is Cube's interest in looking at this? I think that the essence of the missing middle is that, as you said, women are disproportionately impacted, you know, disadvantaged and marginalised in a range of things in our community. One is the recent impact, of course, of the global pandemic and we've seen the way that's played out around, for example, uh, family violence, um, you know, mental health um, and some other challenges at, at the, the family and household level. And the idea of the missing middle is that in our service system from prevention and response in that divide, women are falling through the cracks. And unless we can think about um, that journey for women uh, across the different elements of our social sphere, our social system here in Australia, that will keep happening. And part of that is needing to join up. So that's about different parts of the public purpose system, whether it's emergency services, um, disability, health, the health service at large, human service systems, our NGO organisations. We all have to be part of a joined up solution if we're going to be more thinking about that journey and preventing women falling through the cracks in those different circumstances. Mm, okay. All right, so let's talk about some of the policies. So I don't have a clear list of the policies. So can you take me through them? Kim, maybe to go to you, what do you see as some of the highlights in what Cube is offering staff there? Yes, yeah, so from a flexible family perspective, our parental leave policy is generous in the provisions that it provides. So you mentioned earlier, Angela, the 12 weeks of Cube-funded paid parental leave. But some of the other elements which, which don't necessarily relate to that direct financial impact, we removed terms like primary and secondary caregiver. We have a very gender neutral approach to our parental leave policy. Um, I know some people still refer to it as maternity leave, but part of our approach was to ensure that the policies that we put in place really encouraged um, men also to access 
these leave provisions. We know that only about 5% of men currently access primary paid parental leave and, and part of being the change for us was to, to make that more accessible um, for, for males as well. One of the other key things that I'm really proud of that is our policy includes is the continuation of superannuation payments. We know that women retire with 48% of men's superannuation uh, of their male counterparts. So that's something that really goes a long way to closing that gap. Um, and we believe that those elements of our leave policies will go some way to closing that, that gender divide that we experience in society and help to support that missing middle, which you just spoke about with Ben. Yeah. Another element that is a relatively new inclusion in our most recent review of the policy is providing leave when things perhaps don't go according to plan. So we have very explicitly called out uh, bereavement leave entitlements, which enables us to show compassion when a team member may need it the most. Um, we've also been very explicit about um, ensuring that our policy clearly is uh, applicable to those undergoing uh, or embarking upon adoption and foster care arrangements as well. So the policies are amazing in terms of the, the provisions, but also the language that they use really reinforces that that sense of providing an inclusive range of policies for, for all team members. Yeah, yeah. So how long ago did you announce this new suite of policies? So our parental leave policy has been in place for two years. It has most recently, has been reviewed really recently as in the last month or so. Prior to two years ago, we did have a parental leave policy that was fairly much in line with the government provisions. And this change two years ago really took it to the next level in terms of offering those additional benefits that, as I said, we really believe help to close that gender gap. Yeah. So, so when you say you have removed the gender labels, does that mean that uh, men can access the 12 weeks as well? So everyone can access, any new parent can access the 12 weeks? That's right. Okay. Okay. That's great. So again, we, we do see, and I go back to that idea of some of, you know, we see bigger firms doing this. We're not seeing enough smaller firms doing this. And Ben, I think it's important what you mentioned there as well, when you think about how such a large proportion of the population do work in small to medium-sized businesses. We can't say that, you know, they just can't do this at all because they're too small or they can't absorb the costs like bigger firms can. We need to encourage this as much there as anywhere else because um, I go back to that report, The Missing Middle, which looks like an excellent report. It's just all these things can do so much to really try and address some of those issues, particularly this idea of creating more um, equality and more balance at home and, and encouraging men to take a greater role in home life and, and what's going on um, after they have a, a baby and, and the connections they can bring by being able to spend that 12 weeks with that new child. Can I ask Going to lockdown now, which obviously all three of us are enjoying, what, for the 450th week, it feels like. so. Um, and you're both in Melbourne. Uh, so you're both in Victoria, at least. Um, ben, uh, just slightly out of Melbourne. So I, I know that Melbourne recently uh, hit the 200-day mark in lockdown and it, uh, if we feel fatigued here in Sydney, it's kind of hard to imagine how people feel in Melbourne right now going through this. What are you doing to support your staff there? Well, is there anything particularly interesting or unique you want to highlight that you think has been really beneficial in, in supporting staff 
particularly parents, but but not just parents. We um, we definitely have a sense of lockdown fatigue, Angela, and I think um, today marks around 222 days of Melburnians um, having been in some sort of lockdown. So it it's an enormously huge amount of time and has had had a big impact. Um, we had a fairly flexible approach to work pre-pandemic. So we were really well set up to to be remote ready. Um, That certainly helped us when we were were thrust into this uh, work from home notion earlier last year and has definitely made for a smoother transition. What that's meant for us is that we have been able to direct our energy and our focus on supporting the team rather than scratching around to get them set up to work from home and to access technology, we are able to focus on what that flexibility might look like for our team. Um, And it hasn't been easy. And um, we are continually looking for uh, new and different ways to be supportive. But some of the things that I think have really worked for us is to engage with our team, to really uh, create a safe space, to have an open conversation about where people are at and how they're feeling and how they're traveling. Um, It's different for everybody. um, And no matter you know, what your personal situation, there is is some impact of some sort. We uh, empower our team to really manage their work days um, as works best for them. We have some team members who might start later in the day because they get their children set up for remote learning. We have others that might log off earlier in the afternoon to to go for a family bike ride or take their hour of exercise. Um, We have other team members who use the middle of the day to go for a run um, and break break the day up a little bit. Um, and we really try and help the team to feel confident that that's okay to do. So there's been lots of conversations had. There's lots of great role modelling amongst our leaders. Um, we have team members who quite openly talk about um, needing to be spending time with their kids in their out-of-office notifications or that they're just taking time to chill out on the couch for the afternoon because they need a break. So over the course of the pandemic, I think we've definitely created that safe space to uh, manage our time. Um, Where necessary, we will work with team members to to manage that workload because that can be um, a a big challenge to make sure that um, the team have a sense of, of not dropping important responsibilities or being less productive. So we we offer support where we can there. We maybe haven't had a a perfect run, but um, we're very open to the conversation. We've supported the team in a number of other ways, nothing particularly unique, but certainly there's been care packs. We've had some fun online uh, interactions to try and keep our team connected. We have a a very humorous Slack channel called Coping with COVID. where we get some really great content shared amongst the team. Um, but I think for the most part, it's about really maintaining connection with the individuals who make up the amazing organisation that Cube is. Yeah. So I don't think anyone has had a perfect run or could possibly hope to have a perfect run because nobody, I mean, I know we've all been at this for the past 18 months or so, but I don't think anyone actually you know, has ever trained <laughs> To, to manage this sort of environment in a constantly changing environment or even think about like how to do this week after week, month after month into another year. So then do you have something to add 
there as well. I'm I'm kind of curious about this uh, humorous Slack channel as well. So <laughs> is it personal anecdotes or? <laughs> There's a but lot then of memes. What do you have to say there? There's hmm. a lot of memes on the Slack channel, and everyone everyone gets involved. I think you need to be able to have you know a bit of a humor as a as a pressure valve release sometimes and. And we make you know good use of that, which is is great. Perhaps some other things um, to, to mention. Um, we've recently undertaken some workforce resilience training for our team. That's been really important. I think I'm really acutely aware of sort of the responsibility of today's business leaders to be very mindful of the mental health impacts of the pandemic on their team. I think about it a lot. And you know anything we can be doing to support our team in that way to feel mentally you know, well is important. So we've had some um, resilience training for the team, which has really really helped look at sort of some of the thought patterns that often sort of creep in when you're talking about you know being in lockdown. It's it's very easy to get kind of into a bit of a rut where you sort of you know it's, it's Groundhog Day. We all feel that. So what are some ways in the way that we think some cognitive tools that we can use to help ourselves sort of. Um, work through that that challenging period. And, and I think we have sort of a, a duty as, as business leaders to help um, provide some of those to our team. So we've we've invested in that. I think what's – so much of this, Angela, comes back to culture, right? You know, it's the, the old culture is strategy for breakfast question. You know, it's always culturally led. And I, I think something that, that that is worth highlighting is that with when you're in, certainly in lockdown but even in a hybrid working model, the lines between home and work – are breaking down. They are more porous than they've possibly ever been, certainly in my career. You know, every time we hop into a Zoom call, we are virtually being transported into someone's home, into their living room, into their lounge room, sometimes into their bedroom. You know, and that comes with an interrogation of you know someone's bookshelf, their couch cushions, <laughs> the art that's on their wall, you know, the environment that they're in. And I think what, you know, their dogs and the cats and the kids that are doing the cameos. And I think to Kim's point about a safe space, it's important to normalise that. And make it really clear that that from from everyone in the organisation that's totally cool, and that flows through to our clients as well, and the way that we consult with them, that we kind of set that that sort of safe space expands to with you know broader ecosystem and the clients that we work with. We're all in it together. We're supportive, and once you kind of create that sense of safety, you, you, people you can kind of really re- help people to realise their potential despite the tough period that they're going through because they're doing it on their terms. So I think we've really created that. You know, don't apologise for the kids sitting next to you on the table and you're doing a quick geography lesson with and then hopping onto the board meeting straight afterwards. That's cool. where <laughs> We all get it. Um, and the more you can kind of create that cultural norm, in a sense, um, that safe space really is a very powerful thing. Yeah. So, Ben, on that, I have to ask, if we enter a world which, sadly, I don't think that we're heading for this world, but a world where there are no lockdowns at all where we have full freedom and access and there's no concerns about staff numbers in an office or overcrowding or anything like that. If we get to that world, do you think the lessons of this remain? Do you think that we'll continue to be working as flexibly as we are now? And I'm not just asking this about your firm because I think um, you you seem to have it all sorted and, and know exactly what's going to work for people. But I guess looking at some of those particularly similar sized organizations as well, do you think we just go back to the way it was and and that's it. This was just a blip on the path to go back and be in an office Monday to Friday, you know, 10 hours a day, see your kids on the weekend. Uh, and in my in my opinion, I, I don't think we'll go back to it. I think that we've we've crossed a big divide here. And I think that 
you know, if you look at kind of the reasons why you might revert back to it, you know, some of them would come back to kind of probably some more commercial drivers for firms needing to, you know, get people back in the office, you know, um, have, have certain boundaries around when and where and how they work. But I think even in sort of the 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 larger organisations and those that are more economically driven, there's this realisation that's occurred through this period that you know, we are hitting the purpose economy. Now, you know, this is about attracting and retaining the best talent in any industry, in any organisation. And the only way you're going to get that, which will drive high performance, is by being a flexible organisation that embraces a new era of work for your people. So I think certainly well, there'll be a level of correction back to, you know, a hybrid model, but I don't think we'll ever go back to the way we were in a pre-COVID world. I hope we don't, because I think this has been in, in some ways a very humanising experience um, for industry, many industries, and um, I hope we can capture the essence of that and make that you know, part of the platform of new ways of work into the future. Yes, yes, sure. So, um, Kim, I want to ask one kind of follow-up question to that and then it will be one quick question afterwards because I know that I'm keeping you both longer than I promised. But, Kim, on that that idea of whatever this new normal looks like, I hate that word normal because th- there is no, no such thing, but if we think about the hybrid office, and I guess I'm asking this again in a gen- general context, not about your own experience there with Cube, but do you do you have any concerns about a hybrid workplace in terms of, particularly from a culture perspective, in terms of who might take advantage of actually being in the workplace and who might, for whatever reason, be continuing to work from home? Yeah, I think there's definitely um, a need to be very mindful and very deliberate about what that way of working looks like in the future. We know that there there's a sense amongst um, the talent in the market that flexibility is is a really key benefit in terms of choosing an organisation to work with, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people also don't want to come back to an office environment and connect with their colleagues and peers. We are mindful um, at Cube and I think a key process for organisations will be to ensure that they're striking that balance and really addressing how they are creating an environment that is inclusive for those who may be physically present in an office and those who may not be. I think there is a risk, um, which you've alluded to, Angela, that there will be certain um, pockets of, of our community that end up being the ones working from home continuously and that there may be disadvantages for them uh, in doing so. So I think one of the key aspects for organisations moving forward will be to to really make sure that that's front and centre in terms of how they're designing their policies and their hybrid workforce of the future to ensure that there aren't disadvantages or um, advantages for those who are more present in the office. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the final question that I wanted to ask, and I haven't put this on sort of the original discussion points that I shared, but I think it's particularly important at the moment, uh, given your own roles and in leadership, but just if you might share a, a quick tip or something that you're doing that is really supporting your own well-being at the moment, given like so many of us you know, you're juggling work and, and kids at home and uh, the uh, emotional load and other things that come with this time. So maybe just starting with you, first of all, Kim. I think for me, um, it, it's certainly been a roller coaster and there's lots of different tips and tricks and things to try. Um, for me, keeping grounded and connected uh, and and being I guess showing some vulnerability and and being really open uh, when things don't feel so great uh, as 
we all go through those stages. I think from a people and culture perspective in HR, we're often um, the person that listens to or the role that listens and supports others. But it's really important also to, to show um, those times when it's not going so great for you as well. So I think for me, there's an honesty around how things are, are travelling and I think getting out and uh, enjoying some fresh air and some sunshine definitely helps and it's really lovely to feel the spring air here in Melbourne um, to lift our spirits after such a, a lengthy lockdown period. Mm. And what about you, Ben? Oh, I think I'm really similar to Kim. I, I think that sort of authenticity, to be really honest about how you're feeling, is important. Important and um, certainly for me, you know, I had a conversation with one of our partners recently. Who said, you know, how's your day been? I said, look, to be honest, this afternoon I've been staring at the screen, <laughs> and and it's just you know, just being upfront about that, just struggling. The productivity is not there. It's Groundhog Day. Here we are back again. You know, another day of lockdown, and I think being able to do that allows people to sort of you know see their experience in your experience and again kind of strengthens your culture um, because we're all going through that and the more you can come together around that sort of shared feeling the more you can sort of talk through it and feel better by the end of it. Um, the, other, the other little thing for me is exercise um, and that's been hugely important through it. I think when you're going through a tricky you know tough period like this it's easy so you know, go later so I've just really sort of been quite um, you know, strong with myself on making sure I get out for the jog, take the dog for a walk, and um, and that's helping to kind of um, ensure that I'm I'm staying as alert as I can, you know, in a difficult period. Hmm. All right. Well, Kim and Ben, thank you so much for for joining me on the Family Friendly Workplaces podcast, and thank you for doing what you're doing, advocating for particularly for for organisations of this size to really be up in the ante on their culture and to be considering the things that they can and should be offering staff, not because it's the right thing to do. But Ben, I think you made some excellent points there, noting that it's um, the right thing to do in terms of making absolute business and economic sense. Ben, just finally, are there any just key organisations that you think are really interesting to look at in terms of what they're doing in this space? I think what, what I'd like to perhaps, the note that I'd like to finish on is to say, if you are a leader in a professional services organisation or any, any organisation in the knowledge economy, which is certainly the sector in which we work, and you're in that small to medium enterprise space, you know, really be brave when it comes to these policies, these ways of thinking, be empathetic um, and, and be kind to yourself that it's going to take time to, to sort of work through this, get expert advice to support you through it, look to what others are doing, but really help to be the change and adopt some of these policies and your business, your culture will absolutely be better for it. Mm, great points. Thank you. And you have joined Family Friendly Workplaces as well. You've been accredited as a Family Friendly Workplace, so congratulations there. And there's other opportunities for organisations to do so as well. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, Angela. The Family Friendly Workplaces podcast is an initiative supporting the new National Work and Family Standards for Workplaces, which informs employers of the minimum and best practice policies they can invest in to create a great family-friendly workplace culture. You can learn more at familyfriendlyworkplaces.com.